Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Ooh, we sounded crispy today, Jordan. How you feeling? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. You want to tell us about our guest today? Yeah, today we have a manager from EQT where I work, coworker of mine, a good friend, Ramya Vellery. Ramya's been at the company a little bit longer than I have. I think she was technically the first employee. So she's she's had her skin in the game for a long time at the company. Um, so she brings she brings two different perspectives, I guess, to the episode. One of them is someone who saw a company go from pretty much nothing to what it is today in a partnership with Universal. And then another one is the, seeing the artists that she works with from where they were at the beginning of their career, Goldlink included, um, to where they are today. I think one thing that's really interesting in the episode is that Ramya manages uh, people in three different verticals. So she manages Tommy Genesis, who's a model and a hip-hop artist herself. Um, she manages Amrit, who's a producer, DJ. Um, and she says in the episode, she can also sing. Um, and she also manages a photographer, Ravy B, who has shot and on tour with Beyonce and Jay-Z and gets flown to, you know, events all over the place to shoot because she's a well-in-demand photographer. So in the episode, we get into um, not only what it's like managing people in those three different verticals, but the mindset that you need to be a manager. She gets into the personality traits that have made her successful as a manager. I get to talk about that myself as well. She talks about, you know, what it's like committing to an artist, um, which is something that I actually haven't gotten into much into the podcast myself. So I'm glad people will hear that just in terms of the things that you have to sacrifice and what managing an artist, what that commitment really looks like. So um, we really get into the weeds of it. Um, and it's really great to hear, you know, the the rise of EQT. I've been there for almost four years and she's been there for uh, you know, almost five. It's really interesting hearing her perspective um, and comparing it to my own. Yeah, for sure. No, I especially liked when we were speaking about what are some of the traits in great managers and how you, how she, how we all really focus on starting to, to build, develop those different skills. Also really enjoyed having the conversation around the boundaries uh, you should have with your artist or, or maybe even lack thereof. Because I know obviously this is like a very much an always on 24-7 type of job in industry. Right. So uh, is there a productive boundary to set or not? Or is right. it counterproductive? So I think... Uh, had a lot of very interesting conversations. So if you're an aspiring artist, aspiring manager, just really anybody working in the music industry, I think you'll get a lot from this episode. So without any further ado, let's get into it. What's up, Ramya? Hi, Jordan. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Where Where were you before this? I was at a gig. <laughs> you were at a gig. So yeah. so in terms of, I mean, obviously know what I do when I'm a a manager and I'm at gigs, but you seem a little bit more hands on. First of all, who was the artist? Uh, it was for Amrit, and, and she was she scored a fashion show. She scored a fashion show. Yes. So, what type of things do you have to do? You have to be aware of at a fashion show as compared to like a music show. Uh, it's very similar, I would say. You're kind of there to take the brunt of everyone's emotions. It's high stress, high energy. So, deal. It's you're dealing with everything that. Everyone deals with when it comes to performance. So mm -hmm. you're self-conscious. You're worried about how you look, how you sound. So it's very similar in that way. It's the, the big performance. And you feel like you've done, as, no matter how many times you've done this, each time it's like the sky is falling. No matter what. 
Um, do you think there are different expectations in terms of like what you just said, you have to make sure you look good. Obviously that has, that's a little bit more relevant at like a fashion show than like a music show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good is definitely subjective, but right. Right. Cool. Cool. Would you, are you saying, are there expectations between looking good at a show versus what you expect at a fashion show? At a fashion show. Exactly. I think in most cases, a music show has become a fashion show and vice Mm -hmm. versa with, recording artists walking down the aisle or a runway, sorry, um, at a show or turning it into a spectacle. Right. So I think equally it's simultaneous. So a question I get a lot from people and I ask managers this whenever they're on the, on the podcast is how do they find their clients? So how did you find, I guess you have like what, three clients technically. I mean, technically, we have fifteen. I mean, but. I'm talking about just you. Oh, just just me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I mean, we have, but yeah, yeah. And they, and it seems like they're from all. I would say I have about like, like, fifteen. I have like a pie. Like pie is my is my clients. Like three point one four one five. Like that's that's literally my clients. Is pie. So. Um, you brought Tommy on board. How did how did you and Tommy come together? How did you find Tommy? I definitely knew about her through Awful Records. Um, I was close with them as they came to New York and things. So so in the peripherals, knew of her. And then I met her through Amrit. And I would say that Amrit essentially built the infrastructure that I've already... Like, because of her, I've built the infrastructure that I have now. Mm-hmm. Um what's allowed me to do a lot of the things that I've already done. So I've met, I met Tommy through that. And so that's literally how it happened. But I, I kind of made the extra effort to, I I flew to Paris to, to meet with her basically. And so that was kind of what helped move the conversation along. Yeah. You went the extra mile. That's like Dan. He says, uh, I asked Garen, Garen, Sean, you know, when he decided to join EQT, what was that moment? And he was like, I remember texting Dan at some random part of the day or night, you know, when nobody's available. And I said, yo, can you call me when you get the chance? And then he said he was in Australia and Dan called him immediately and was like, yo, what's good? And then Garrett was like, wow, you're, you're like, you're, I, I realize you will be available for me now. Well, and- the only problem with that is that Sometimes when you get too comfortable, <laughs> yeah. I definitely get calls at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Every, like every, every at least once a week. <laughs> once you guys, a week. I mean, both of you. And I mean, even I work with a lot of artists and for me, it's rough too, because a lot of my artists are in Europe. So I'll be getting messages like four in the morning, which is like their midday. And right. it's like, what? I mean, <laughs> setting boundaries. I mean, do you have any boundaries around communication with your clients or it's literally 24 seven and you lean into that? I'll let you answer that first. <laughs> For what it's worth, I think this works differently across genres. And you think that the music industry all works and functions in the same way. But I find in particularly what we do, there isn't that boundary is very fine. And at that point, it just becomes like a human, like a human respect like that Mm -hmm. you have for each other because there isn't any. Like I find the best situations with an artist and a client is something that's like, you both are in it in the long haul because Mm -hmm. people don't realize from the outside looking in, sometimes our clients don't realize it either that when you ask us to manage you, you're asking for a part of our lives. Like you're asking Mm -hmm. us to give up this time of our lives that we could do work on ourselves, work on our own 
business, work on whatever, like it is a mutual thing. Like I wouldn't have a business without, we wouldn't have a business without our clients, Mm -hmm. but being available at four o'clock in the morning, that's time away from myself, my family, my lively, like, I think that's the understanding there. So like, that's just like a human, um, level of respect. But I find that when you're able to treat something a little bit deeper than just something that's transactional, like I book a gig for you, I look over your contracts. Um, that's when it's mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. So that's a long winded way of saying of like the boundaries are very fine. Um, and I think like with what we do, it's, it's very like tight knit. Right. Right. Um, I would say at first I had no boundary. I think, in, especially when I first joined EQT, it let was me like, learn that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was like, bro, I'm working with cool artists. I think the first artist I worked for was was D Goldlink, and I was like, man, he call me whenever he wants. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't give a fuck. Waiting on my phone. Yeah, Friday, <laughs> exactly. Midnight, yeah, and like, you know, it, it was called sometimes. He'd be in China, and I used to book his flights, and it'd be like, you know, a five a.m. call. Hey, man, I don't know. You know where my lay. You know, one time, a Chinese uh, airline like canceled one of his flights during a layover, and it was like, all I ended up telling him was he has to go to the desk, but I still had to be up for that call to tell him that. You know, but I was like, hey man, you know, fuck it. So um, I would say now recently it's gotten it's gotten a little bit better. Um, there's a couple of times where my artists know just not to call me or text me times of the year. So like, um, one being my anniversary with my girlfriend. It's like they just don't nobody hits me. It goes mm-hmm. blank. And I tell them, I'm like, look, I'm not gonna be available. This is one of the only times a year I can really celebrate my relationship with this person. Like, that's it. And also sometimes I'll do that at, you know, my girl tomorrow, for example, is leaving for a few weeks. So last night I got some calls for some people like super late. And I was like, look, I'm with my girl tonight. Like, sorry. Um, and they end up respecting that because I don't do it that often. Mm-hmm. So I think more now than ever, I'm beginning to draw that line a little bit, a little bit more um, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, but at first, no, I didn't have no, I didn't have no boundary. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I was seeing Ramya, I was seeing Kaz, they were doing all this big shit. I was just an assistant. I was like, I'm trying to be like that. <laughs> so I was like, no boundary. <laughs> if that'll help, if that'll help me get full, move forward quicker, like no boundaries. Mm-hmm. So. But now I'm scaling back. (laughs) (laughs) I think also when you're working with an artist and that's there, you're like, you're their first person. Mm -hmm. They're automatically inclined to like calling you when something's wrong. Like even if you add an assistant or a junior manager, their first instinct when something goes wrong is like, well, you weren't there. So I think that's just something that is learned to like when you, a business grows for them to trust that too. Mm-hmm. So it become you become a crutch as yeah. well. Um and so that's the the boundary thing of like that's why Kaz and I were like we're still there mm-hmm. in the trenches and it's just taking us now to get to grow the business to this point where like all right, now it's a functioning ecosystem. We got everyone we need. It's moving along like now we can add onto the business. Right. So and that's taken us, you know, x amount of time to do. Um, and that's something for artists to even learn is like some it's okay if we're not there, just know someone is. And that's a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Right. Like sure. when you're the first person that they've ever. You're their mom, dad, dog, right. therapist. Yeah, you got to be there. Uh, for it's, them. A, it's a learning curve. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. One question. I need brutally honest answer here, but what's it like working with with Jordan? <laughs> 
Yo, Jordan. Honesty. Honestly, Jordan is the a good, machine. The bad, the ugly. Jordan is a machine. Like I have never. It's like the attention to detail is so crazy that I have I, I have no attention <laughs> to detail actually. Like I'm such a bigger picture strategy. Like all right, I don't care how this gets done. Someone figure it out. But yeah. like Jordan is the person to like connect the dots and then like bring it around the world. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie, but at the same time, don't give this man a guest list. <laughs> he cannot. I, I refuse. No restraint. See, I refuse. What's the point of being at the yeah. party if you can't bring your yeah, friends? Man. No, no, no. <laughs> Jordan, it's like you want Jordan to be on the side that says, no, you're not allowed to have more than the allotted on the guest list. Like you want Jordan on that front. Yeah. But when it's on the side of like, all right, we got 20 bands and 60 people outside. How are we getting all these people in? <laughs> Jordan is not your guy. Jordan will no. not get you in. I'm you also, are outside. <laughs> I'm also bad at being one of those people. So, so like people have said to me before, like, yo, we just gonna pass the bands back. Like, and I'm like, yo, you sure? Like, you sure we should be doing this? You sure? Like, like I'm the, I'm the kid that's like, oh no, man. I'm like, we don't gotta do this. I'm not trying to get in trouble. Like, like almost to a fault. So, but for what it's worth, like I built my career off of that. Mm. Passing bands back faking names on the guest list. Like that's a personality type that makes me particularly good at what I do and why Jordan is particularly good at what he does is because like he knows the restrictions in which he is given and he's able to work within that and make something like amazing out of very little. So mm-hmm. like we have, and that's what we'd have to do as managers is like make a miracle out of absolutely nothing. And um, so that's what I will say is just don't just <laughs> he will leave you outside. You gotta know where your <laughs> yeah. Gotta know where your uh, your strengths, your strengths, are. <laughs> and your weaknesses are, man. Yeah, 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 you know that's awesome. When it comes to like great managers and great management, what do you feel are some of the key components there? Both, I guess, traits that you aspire to to have, as well as things that you feel like you've been working on. I think foresight is really important. As a manager, like knowing what something is going to look like in five years, 10 years. And that's not like a, oh, what is the five-year plan? Because to be quite honest in this industry, that won't exist. In fi- Like what I decide is going to happen in five years won't exist. Mm-hmm. So in five years. So it's more or less understanding like how you want this to grow versus what tools and limitations you have to grow it. Because mm-hmm. um, that could take 10 years or, or whatever. So I think that's important. But also like, I think finding it's not even problem solving. It's like having solutions before the problem is even presented. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that word is. Whatever that magical power is, it's that. It's like being completely solution oriented. Mm -hmm. Like even if you probably can see it being a problem, already knowing like how to troubleshoot it moving forward. And that's like being able to know your client really well. Like Mm -hmm. being able to speak for them, knowing how to act on their behalf is, is a skill and, and, um, in and of itself. So I think that's like what really makes a good manager. But then also a good manager is knowing when you have no idea what the fuck to do about something mm-hmm. and like being able to ask for for advice or help or even hiring that outsourced person to be like, I don't know how to do this. Please help me figure this out. Right. So I think that's the like knowing when not being too proud to right. know you have no idea what's going on because mm-hmm. we make things up every day. Totally. I think that's a, a thing that I had to get over pretty early on too. It was like, man, I don't know shit. And I just never felt like I knew shit. I still don't know shit. And then Ramia said that was okay. And I, was, <laughs> I was like, I was like, all right, cool. Like, we Wait, all I said you were okay? No, you said that was okay. Oh. <laughs> you were like, I make stuff up every day. And I was like, all right, bet. <laughs> that's a bet. I'm going to keep making stuff up every day. <laughs> 
Um, yo, I want you to ask this tweet question because while we're while we're on the while we're on the topic of talking about what makes a great manager, um, this music theory right here. So I guess there was a tweet where uh, <laughs> you tweeted people who man, work at- I knew my Twitter would. <laughs> yeah, we, we we dug, we dug. <laughs> would be used against me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, you said this person's horrible. No, I'm playing. You didn't say <laughs> the, the, uh, people who work in music should be required to take a music theory class. I just heard a grown ma- grown ass man ask, "Can you make the beat go more shagrash?" Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think it's important? I think that. <laughs> wow, that's a I hilarious gotta, tweet. Also, <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta well, have the shagrash. I wish first I was of all, there. that can be interpreted in so many ways. Um, and I got a lot of like responses to that because people are like, oh, when when that happens in the studio, like some sometimes that's the best shit that comes out of it, like figuring out what that means. And I and I think that is different than specifically asking for shagrash boom. Like <laughs> how does like what is the sound or the note to make that happen versus having the conversation of like, oh, like how do we add an element to this that makes it sound like in that context, like they were just asking for like probably harder 808s or they were asking for like a specific drum pattern, but say that. Um, <laughs> I think the problem is like in general is that people, particularly artists, have a difficult time articulating themselves and conveying what they are thinking into actual uh, <laughs> audible <laughs> language. And I think that's the, that was more like an illusion, like that was a lead into that conversation of like we have very limited vocabulary when it comes to talking about how music should sound or feel. And the music theory note was like, yes, I think that is helpful for for all managers (laughs) or all people in the music industry to understand. Um, But I also think that was leading into a conversation for the fact that like we as a society have very limited vocabulary to talk about the things that we want to talk about because we've only been given the tools and the words and the know-how from like that we're referencing from 20, 30 years ago mm-hmm. and that those conversations have changed and the ideas and the mentality has changed. So, so yeah, I think Sagrash, boom, sure. But what are you <laughs> actually asking for? Right, right, right. Sure. We can make it sound that way, but like, what does that mean? And how mm-hmm. does that evolve the song? Cause I think a lot of people make music just for content versus if, does is this actually going to make the song better? Mm-hmm. In that same vein, how much feedback do you feel managers sh- should be giving creatively around their artists' music? So you have the artist manager that <laughs> that tried to be an. I think at some point every every manager tried to be an artist. We got to yeah, we got to air so, some of Jordan's old tracks on the, the music right. no, we ain't gonna air no tracks. Yeah. <laughs> but you yeah, send I, me think these links. Every, I think that's <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for for real. Um, so you have those managers um, who who are great. And then you have the other managers that are like very strictly business dollars and cents. And both are very great and very viable. However, I think as a consumer, everyone's opinion matters, whether they're really knowledgeable or not knowledgeable at all. I think sometimes you can get really insular and in your own space of like, you think something is so dope and then you come and listen to it as a manager and you're like, wow, what the fuck have they been doing for four months? <laughs> this isn't it. Um, or it ends up being beautiful and you're like, how have we not seen this for four months? Like, <laughs> why haven't you put this out? So that's a loaded question because you have artists, managers that sometimes are like, 
they do too much and they want to take producer credit, writing credit on everything and be and star in it. So, <laughs> um, so there is, there is some, sometimes, uh, th- that you have to fight in that, but then also the managers that are like, I have no idea what they're doing creatively. I have no idea how to steer them in the right direction. So again, it's like having the know-how to be like, okay, I need someone, I need either to bring someone in to help add structure to this in either the creative space or the, the, the business aspect. Right. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's a difficult one, but, but I think everyone's opinion does matter because the person who probably knows the least will give the most honest reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes that's pretty valuable. Yeah, for sure. I think also there's a, another skill that you have to that you have to grow and cultivate is after you have the opinion, how do you say it in a way that doesn't affect that doesn't offend them, um, where they feel like you're not coming like for their life's work. Mm-hmm. So obviously honesty is important, but just as important is how do you translate that into something that they can absorb and not be like fuck you at the end of the day? Because I've seen some managers like say stuff to artists about their album or their single and then they had to break they had to break up they had to stop working together just because the, the manager said it in such a way that was so offensive to the artist it was like well you just don't get me it was very early in their relationship so well even that is less even about the art itself than how they work together as artists and yeah client. Mm-hmm. like yeah. to a certain extent to if you're unable to like what i don't know what the person said but like <laughs> if you're coming for them why are you working for them in the first place <laughs> right like why are you here? So mm-hmm. makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, can you talk about what you feel like has helped EQT build the momentum and growth it's had over the past couple of years? I mean, I think obviously you guys have the uh, like the label partnership now, and I mean your roster is incredible. Um, I think a lot of people that are listening to the show might be managers, but with more ambitions than just managing one artist. And I think what you guys together have been able to build is really incredible. So from your perspective, what do you feel like have been some of the kind of most pivotal moments throughout the kind of growth of EQT? I have been there for maybe the long, well, Kaz technically has been there the longest, I guess, but I guess officially as an employee, I was there first. Maybe. I, I always <laughs> assumed that you were first and that cast kind of came as a package deal with Henny. Yeah, it it's, it all happened at the same time, but I think I was the first or the third person outside of Dan and Henny that had an EQT email address. So like, I guess that, that I was the third. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> outside of Dan and Henny? No, you were the second. You must have been the second. No, uh, Dan than- and Henny were one and two. Two and one, whatever. And yeah. then me was third. Kaz came and then quickly after. So and then four. And then me. But you just said you were third outside of Dan and Henny. But I oh, was including, I was third including. outside of Dan and Henny. Yeah. Including, including. Sorry. So yeah. Lots of changes over the years, definitely. And I think we're still figuring that out as we go along. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the pivotal thing though is like you're putting all this energy into an artist or two artists and hoping that something's going to break at some point. And like, I don't think people also realize that, okay, so manager's baseline, you're taking 20%, right? And so you don't realize how much of that you actually have to put back into your business. But in order to even put that back into your, your business, your overhead has to be so much. And then you have to be making that much. So like, we're talking like a high six figures that you collectively have to be, <laughs> Like minimum six figures, 
hopefully you're getting into the millions, but minimum to put back into your business. So like it was until that point of like, okay, there are more zeros after this comma that you start to realize like, okay, putting it back into the company. So I think what was pivotal is to one, like get to the point of realizing, okay, now we have this going with one artist, let's add on and grow the business because it only helps that artist that much more. So I think we never, well, we definitely have, we're definitely spread thin right now, but (laughs) (laughs) um, we're definitely like two to one right now, but I think we're all really excited about who we, who we work with and who we want to work with. But I think what's actually been the most pivotal is like, we all fuck with our clients like so heavily. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's been so game changer is like, we don't have an artist that we just don't like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's maybe sounds selfish, but like, that's what I think kind of sets us apart is that we are, we only work with people that like we will put our hundred percent into, even if we like feel like we're working 27 hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to, I want to talk about that a little more because a lot of people ask me what I do to find clients. First of all, um, I don't find clients as much as other people do. Other people just have a better ear than me. I'm really good at execution. So just for the people listening <laughs> that that ask me that question, um, I'm not like the lead A&R at the company or anything like that. But what I do say is if you come across a manager that's like kind of okay, like kind of into your music, then they're also not good for you. So if I like so if you show me your music and you're trying to convince me to manage you and it's like a yeah, but, I, you know, if I'm not really into it, then maybe you should move on also. You should be looking at your career like it's like it's valuable, not that you're asking for a handout or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I always say that to people. I think I think especially for management, it shouldn't be like you convincing me to help you out. And I right. think I've never had a situation at EQT where it was like, I'm working for this artist because they just don't have the manpower and maybe I need to help. It's always like, I like the artists I work for mm-hmm. and I want to continue that streak. And the artists themselves, this should be the same way both ways. The artists mm-hmm. themselves should also say, this manager really wants to work for me and really believes in my vision. Yeah. And now it's a partnership, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's how I see it. Do you feel like, I mean, going back to the conversation we had a little bit earlier about boundaries, I mean, like, is there a line that needs to be drawn or that you guys do draw between like, a friendship with an artist and a business relationship as their manager. You don't have to say names also. You can tell that <laughs> to the HR we don't have. Yeah. <laughs> I think managers work a little differently because we don't have those boundaries. It's a personality type. Mm-hmm. Like I have a particular threshold for bullshit <laughs> than the <laughs> average person. I yeah. really do. And um, so you have to be able to like take it as well. Mm-hmm. And so that really comes down to having like a very calm personality. And if someone, if an artist or someone at a label, publicist, whatever is like coming for you, being like, you fucking suck. I hate you. This, that, like you have to have the the like stoic nature to be like, I really don't care right, right, right. <laughs> um, because I know after you have this tantrum, we're going to move on. <laughs> we're going to fix it. We're going to troubleshoot. We're going to like move things around. And that's that. So right. like, and I think that's maybe just my personality type. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of, cr- I think some artists have even tried to piss me off, mm-hmm. but I just kind of laugh. Yeah. So I think that's the, that's something important to note is mm-hmm. like, 
when you're in an industry of high emotions, you can't combat crazy with more crazy. Right. Like it never works out. Totally. Ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so as far as like the boundaries go, I think that's just something that you have just inherently either you do or you don't. And so there's mm-hmm. two kinds of people in this world. <laughs> I feel you know that. What I mean? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, yeah. But but I've definitely been in some like hilarious situations and like it's funny to me just cuz I'm like, man, like we've been arguing back and forth about Something so silly, like it can be anything, like green M and M's. Like it's, you think that that's in a documentary or like some movie about the music industry? Nah, that shit actually comes from something. Yeah. And you're like, I'm fighting with you about green M and M's, and we've been fighting about this for like 20 minutes. I don't know what else to do besides just order a pack of green M and M's from Amazon Prime and call it a day. Like, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, you have to find like solutions to those things. But when you're dealing with people that like have high emotions and like mm-hmm. like not having a green M and M is like detrimental to, to their livelihood, like it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you mm-hmm. gotta have the the know how to be like we can fix this. It's really fine. So, but I think that's the kind of person that like has to have the tolerance for that. And so that's the boundary thing of like, if you don't have the tolerance for it, like it's just not something you're able to do. Or if you can't find someone that can be the, the buffer. Totally. So, yeah, I would, I mean, I agree with pretty much all that. I think I get this answer all the time because everyone's like, you're always working. And I'm like, because if I don't answer your call, you have a fit. So, yeah, 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 yeah. so I, I, for every you, there is, there's only one of me and right. there's three of you or there's five of you. Right, right, right. So it's not even like, you know, again, being able to train artists to say like, you know, you have this other person to rely on, but sometimes it's like, I'm only comforted by talking to you. Yeah. And so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree. I want to talk about, you work in technically in like three different fields. So like, obviously you're in management across all of your clients, but you, you're also in the photography game for Ravy B, fashion for Tommy and music for Tommy. And you also manage, does, does Amrit produce too? She, she can. She um, can produce. Yeah, she, she does sing. And as a DJ, she, she like, yeah, she, she, does, she can produce, yeah. Right. Well, these are all very different things to be a part of. Even me, I manage a producer and an artist. And I think those two are radically different. So what what do you think is the thread that ties all of them together? And what do you think the major differences are between them that you've had to learn so far? Honestly, the differences is working style. Working style. Yeah. I think all of those things interconnect. Like they all fit some way somehow together. Like they Mm -hmm. all wear Nike. They all wear... (laughs) Like, they all want the new Sakai's. They all want the new Fenty. Like, they all want all of that, and they all can survive in those spaces. Their imprint is all different. Like, what Raven looks like is completely different than what, like, JPEG would look like Mm -hmm. in the space. And that's the imprint. And that's my job as a manager to develop and nurture. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's working style. Like, for for one artist, they might need an itinerary every single day to be like, all right, 9 a.m., you wake up. This is what you do. This is how we're going about it. This is the car. This is the information and like working style. Whereas like another artist is like, just tell me what time I have to wake up and let me know when to get there. And, um, and some artists will come with like a gang of 20 people to a shoot. And I'm like, all right, guess I don't need to be there. Y'all can handle it. Great. Or like 
whether as another artist is like, I need you to be there. I need this to be done. When I get there, I need this bottle of water on my table <laughs> and this done. And mm-hmm. like, it's working styles. And, and again, it's personality types. So like, and that's something that I'm equally learning with new people. And like, I get, I'm, I ask for feedback. I'm not the perfect manager. I have no idea what I'm doing most of the time, but like, and that's going to change. Like what you, when you start working with an artist, the expectations are really low, right? Like you're like, okay, let's feel each other out. Let's figure out how it goes. And then as it goes on, as it continues, that's when it gets like, all right, where are you? I need you here. This is what we need to do. Like, um, so I think it's what's different is just personality types mm-hmm. and being able to understand and manage the two. But I think communication is a huge part of it. And right. like saying, Hey, these are my needs. This is what I need to do. And be being able to, to create that. Cause ultimately what you're, what I do especially is I'm approaching their business from a 360 perspective. Like mm-hmm. I think that's something a lot of managers don't do until like they have one thing going and they're like, oh, let's add this on top of it. I try to do it all at the same time only because like social media changes a lot of things. The The fashion industry is moving just as quickly as the music industry because mm-hmm. now all of anything on runway is pretty much made to order now like mm-hmm. um, or, or readily available. So mm-hmm. like same with festivals. Coachella gets booked out a year and like right after Coachella happens, they start <laughs> booking for the next year. And that's because. Mm-hmm people are releasing like two albums a year now. So yeah. like the rate of music is, is equally um, is going as quickly. And so is fashion. So that's what I think gets lost in translation is not being able to approach that because at the same, from a 360 perspective from like, yes, merch, touring, music releases, brand partnerships, but being able to tie all that in at the same time, mm-hmm. that's when you see it all like, Oh, that was sick. Like, mm-hmm. Like there are very few artists that have been able to do that really well. And usually it's like the bigger artists that you're like, oh, after they release the album, an album, they have a Marvel collab and then they have this collab and then they're in this TV show and then they do this thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's a rollout. Like yeah. you do that for a solid year. You're good for the next year. Right. Like you go, you go to Antarctica and we will see you later. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that's what like <laughs> makes a strong artist because it is exhausting trying to be relevant in five different spaces once at a time. Do mm-hmm. it all at once. Everyone will see it happening. Go away. <laughs> right, Come right, back. right, right. For sure. A lot of people ask me, people ask me this week, actually. I mean, you've seen the beginning of a lot of artists' careers, especially Goldlink. Um, what is the first thing you think they should focus on? Artists or the managers for these artists? music (laughs) um it's get the music right first like that is so that is harder to do than anything else is like your product and get your product right first right so that's the first thing whatever it is you can be a photographer designer make alcohol get the product right like if it's bad you can still sell it but what's the the, but what's the like how are you going to sell it right right that's the marketing but um But I always tell anyone, no matter what they do, if you can't sell shit, you're not worth anything. And that sounds like a bitchy thing to say, but it's literally like a matter of value. Like all brands want, all labels want is hype. And that comes in, I'm not talking about hype beast. I'm saying like, if you create a demand for something, the world is your oyster. So if you can sell out and you're selling all the shit out, 
whether it's a tour, product, like any of that, right? If you're able to do that, you kind of have, you have a, that's a direct to consumer market. Right. But you have a lot to play with. You not only right. have data to play with, but you have a market right. that like someone has to pay for. Right. Whether it's a brand coming in to be like, I want to do this collab or, but they're paying for that because they genuinely have to go to you to, to get it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the important thing of like, what are you, what is your product? And make that as best as it can be. But if, even if the product's bad, like, fine. But <laughs> how are you making it in demand? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't knock the hustle of like Instagram DJs because they have, cre- like, I can't knock it. If you're getting, if you're selling out a tour <laughs> off of like producers, ghost producing for you, I can't be mad at this. Like, that is a hustle. That is like Chris Jenner level of. <laughs> scheming it's incredible i can't be mad at that um because that's that's how to be savvy like you know your market you know how that shit's gonna sell and like i know this is gonna be on the internet but like Chantel jeffries came for paris hilton slot and that girl is selling like she has a vegas residency paris hilton had that and she makes billions of dollars <laughs> from that not just even being an heiress right she's right. an airport she's duty-free money <laughs> i can't be mad at it duty-free money that's the goal <laughs> Hashtag duty free money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you want to get into these hot takes? You got any more questions? Yeah, I think let's get into the hot takes. So the yeah. hot take segment, yeah, it's uh, stuff that either we believe about the industry that we want to talk to you, or just fun takes on what's popping. So, for starters, to baby or little baby? How are you even allowed to ask that? That is so hard. <laughs> I don't think it's that hard. God. <laughs> I think little baby. Mm. Uh, Sam, Sam loves the baby. <laughs> Sam loves the baby. So <laughs> why? Why? He like, that why? man just yeah. shot a man in Walmart. I feel like. Why, why you got to take it there? I feel like I love, I love, I love the baby. I love him. However, because you're making me choose. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Putting it out all the pro yeah. con list, the Venn diagram, yeah. Yeah. all point towards <laughs> little baby. What about you, Jordan? Uh, I didn't expect you to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> um, little baby, just because I've been a fan for longer. I'll yeah. say that the baby. I'm, I'm just getting on him in the past three, four months. Honestly, I was late on. I was late on. I'm not going to admit to Don't that. Don't forget who put you on. But yeah, I mean, no, Sam, I think the baby versus but, little baby. I think uh, I think the baby is like that's definitely an illegal. Like, question yeah, yeah. especially because they just put out that song yeah baby. which was great and it was also like a good like sign of peace because yeah. uh, at first i was like oh shit little baby got another baby in the business <laughs> but i think um oh no i feel like the baby is like objectively like hotter right now right now do you guys sure. that? Oh, yeah. yeah i would agree with that especially with the dream yeah. get into a lift yeah some like i hear his voice and right. it's so distinct yeah so yeah what what about the baby resonates the most with you. <laughs> um, I hate to like bucket the and I, like the the whole mumble rap thing. Is like fuck the that. baby. I don't think he's a mum. I don't think he's uh, a no. Mumbler. But I'd say like little baby Jordan's falls. I'd say little. I'd say <laughs> little baby falls more into like the mumble rap camp. And I feel like the baby's like flow has a more almost like lyrical flow than a lot of artists. And even though I wouldn't like consider him to be like a next level like lyricist or anything, I just feel like he brought like a refreshing level of uh, kind of a unique flow back into hip hop. 
it's kind of like a mix of the lyric lyricism and, and Southern rap. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. 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 That. And then I feel like, um, yeah, not I mean, that Southern rap can't be lyrical. Also, yeah, like, let me I, in interviews, I mean, he's got a cool persona. I think he's got like a very, I mean, super smart guy. I've just heard him talk about his approach and like thoughts around like networking and relationship development. Oh, so and it's a I, I love deeper being, than the yeah, music. No, and I love being able to like see artists that are like vocal about um, how they kind of went about building up their career. But I mean, at the same time too, when Lil Baby was coming up, loved Lil Baby. And the I'm whole, getting like, on the PC baby. Camp. Yeah. You know, you can ask me, it could flip flop. You can ask me yeah. in a couple months yeah, and yeah, it yeah. flipped, you know. Plus, yeah, I don't know. There's just so many songs of the baby that <laughs> I probably listened to over a hundred times each. <laughs> I, I'm bad with the song that I really like. Like, oh, shit, I'll just play it out heavy. Um, next question. Who is more dominant, Lil Wayne in the late 2000s or Drake right now? Is it I will say takes? Lil Wayne is my Beyonce. I think Lil Wayne for sure. Mm-hmm. Because at no point, and even if he was, at no point was Lil Wayne ever dragged for any antics that he was definitely doing, like, like, I think everyone had a mutual respect for him for everything that he did. Whereas, like, Drake will get shit for being a culture vulture or, ho- like, hopping on this right. record just because it's hot. I think Drake is bigger, mm-hmm. but Wayne was hotter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. different. Yeah. So, Wayne has features like that, that he doesn't even know he did. Yeah. And so, like, <laughs> that, made him, that made him the hottest artist yeah. because, like, the man was on everything. But that never devalued his price. Like having Wayne on the record, no matter how widespread it was, Mm -hmm. still to this day, Wayne is hotter. But Drake is bigger. And so that doesn't necessarily like mean the same thing. Right. But Wayne is my Beyonce. Nice. Yeah, man. Thoughts? I would would say Wayne. But I also, you know, Wayne introduced me to hip hop in a way that I had never been introduced to the genre before. So he holds a special place in my heart. Yeah. Like, you know, all the droughts. I played those so... I can remember so vividly how many... I used to be huge in the video games. I play them for hours. Just Lil, Lil, listen to Lil Wayne only for hours. Like, I associate Lil Wayne with more memories too. Mm-hmm. So We're um, also of that era, the Hot yeah. Boys era. Like, I never listened to Dipset ever. Like, I didn't even really listen to Dipset until like well until my like later years mm-hmm. of high school and college. Yeah. I did, did I even know who they were. Right. I'm from Kentucky as well. So like we weren't playing any of that. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we were playing big timers, hot yeah. boys. Like I remember yeah. when the bedrock video came out. <laughs> Yo, somebody was just telling me about that. <laughs> and cause I was, it was a snowstorm for like, I was out of school for a month wow. and um, cause it was so bad storming. And that video came out on like MTV jams or something like that. And I made it my mission to learn every single word. <laughs> And I just remember that's how big Young Money was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Cash Money was already well, like that was like, if you knew music, you knew Cash Money. But if you were growing up with Young Money, that was commercial. Mm-hmm. Like that was commercializing anything Cash Money was doing. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Like that was, you couldn't, you couldn't tell them anything. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't ever lame or like, like no one ever memed it. Totally. That was like real shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, I think Lil Wayne, I mean, it's hard to say, but I really like the way you framed it just as far as like Drake may, may have more like broad pop appeal, but from just a pure dominant standpoint, I feel like Lil, Lil Wayne's Wayne, all culture, yeah. bro. Yeah, all yeah. Culture. And there's just like memes that float around. It's like, I'm sorry if Lil Wayne 
remixed your track in between like two, <laughs> 2006 and 2010 because he definitely like fucked up your original version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a, a beautiful time though because like those remixes were hotter than anything. Like, oh, for sure. I lived for the So So Deaf remixes. Uh, I know Jermaine Dupree's canceled, but the remixes can stay. You can leave. <laughs> um, but any Wayne remix, that shit was great. Oh my god, that swag, no ceilings, the swag yeah, yeah. remix. Oh, I mean, the whole man. no ceiling, all the no, like, the no ceilings tapes. Oh my god, oh, man. man, that was a good time. The no ceilings <laughs> tape. I'm about to go listen to those in my way. That's home. when I was drinking my Southern Comfort, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listening to my no ceilings tape. Yeah. Let's go. All right, more se- last hot take, but on a more serious note. Managers just execute upon an artist's vision. True or false? True. I think that we work only as hard as an artist wants to work. Mm -hmm. I will never be able to like create a world around an artist unless they're trying to work harder than me. Only because like it will feel very disingenuine if you don't Mm -hmm. come like obviously come halfway. But like I can only do so much with your vision unless it's like beginning, middle, and end. If I have mm-hmm. to create that for you, you're never going to connect to it. Right. Like, you'll know that it this isn't right or this mm-hmm. isn't fit. So, like, I think if you... I, I look for the direction for an artist. Like, I can't... I can tell them how to do it. Um, and maybe that makes me, like, uh, an execution person um, and less of, like, a creative manager. But every time I can see something not... Like, if anytime I see an artist, like, kind of half-faking it, I'm like, oh, someone did that for you. Like someone created mm-hmm. this for you. Someone told you this is what you you should be doing mm-hmm. because you can completely tell when someone has been the architect for your career. Right. Right. And so that's when it completely is disingenuous. Yeah. I think the origins of everything have to come from an artist, but it takes a creative manager to bring it to life right. um, in a meaningful way because it's going to take more time than it's probably worth yeah. Like financially, and that's what's really is going to require. Yeah, totally. You uh, feel yeah. the same way? I agree. I agree with all that. The only thing I think a manager can see sometimes bigger than an artist is uh, business vision. So, like the ways to, at least in my experience, um, the ways to really maximize revenue. I think sometimes artists don't necessarily know how to do that. Also, think, but I think um, they have to want to. They have so, to want to absolutely. So I guess, I guess, I it's, guess, say a specific example, and I can probably tie that back in of like maximizing off of revenue. I like so that's well, our job is to create multiple streams of revenue. Right, right. I just think some people, in particular, I've worked with clients who just forget about merch altogether. They're yeah, that's a big en- one. Entirely Selling forget merch. about merch. But you have to want to do merch. Right, right. Exactly. So you still, it's still, it like, it's it always goes back to the artist, right? Like, it always will. Um, I cannot put my face on a shirt and sell it. So, like, you got to come halfway here, buddy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah, I think, yeah. actually, it may be more of, this is an idea that I have. Is this already in your palette of ideas for yourself? I think it's more so checking that. In my opinion, mutually agreeing, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, like, I have this idea where you already kind of thinking about this is the direction that you're going in, whether that's the next two years or whether that's, you know, the press trip that you have next week. What do you think about all of these? I always check with the artists that I work with for stuff like that because it has to come from them, even if I say it first. Right. Wait, you didn't give your answer. No comment. No, I'm playing. Yeah, I was about Um, to say. 
I mean, I work with a lot of managers in a kind of capacity as coming on to help market artists. So I don't necessarily have like the first person experience of like managing an artist. Um, but marketing is a huge part of for sure. Yeah, building that business. That's just my like disclaimer. So the, um, <laughs> but I think the, um, I mean, I think the artist vision is. I mean, it's a partnership. I mean, obviously, I think the artist is the leader of the pack. And I think in that regard, like the largely kind of bringing on a manager to kind of execute upon a lot of their visions. But I also think too, that you can have very like visionary managers. And I think like any great leader, one of the best keys to like leadership is being able to enroll people in your vision oftentimes by like imparting ideas and making them feel a sense of ownership when you're presenting ideas to them. Right. So that way people take a deeper sense of ownership. So, I mean, I think like the smartest managers are the people that are like really helping guide and like plant these seeds in an artist's head and, and kind of like funneling them down this path, given their experience in the industry or having seen trends change over time. So I think it's, uh, I think for a manager to only live and execute upon the vision of the artist, although I think they're definitely like the pace car per your point, I think, um, definitely there's, room to play for like visionary managers that are largely kind of co-constructing and often at times maybe even like really taking the helm of kind of constructing an artistic vision. Artistic vision? I mean, the vision of the artist's brand as a whole. I mean, I, I mean like, where do you draw the boundary around like artistic vision? Maybe the, like the Henny, artist retains you know, their music. Henny always says one thing that makes artists different or managers different than, I mean, he'll say it too. He's probably going to come on the podcast at some point. But one thing that he thinks makes uh good managers different from great managers is the manager's vision but the way that i interpreted that wasn't necessarily creatively helping the artist right obviously the artist can ask for advice yeah on what makes sense and what doesn't make sense for like tracks on an album or yeah what they think specifically about this ad lib which somebody has asked me before um but i think he was more so seeing talking about the bigger picture. What can we make this art? What can we turn this artist into? And sometimes the artists can't see that themselves. So I, I agree that some of it is, you know, creating this vision for them, but I do think it has to go along the path of what the artist, of what the artist is not just okay with, but sort of had an idea of themselves before you said it. And then you kind of just put it into words and translated it for them. Yeah. You know, like I've talked to, I've, you know, I manage a producer I've said like, yo, I want you to be kind of a curator of music for your next project. Like I'm envisioning like you with all these vocalists on the project and people kind of see you as a little bit more of an A&R. Um, and it wasn't, he, he'd never told me what his vision for himself was in that respect, mm -hmm. but I, I could tell by the way he responded that it wasn't that, you know? Right. I could tell he had a feeling of if it was right or wrong right. as soon as it came out of my mouth. Right. So in that sense you know, the artist still holds the reins and still may for have sure. the vision. It's just the, totally. the manager still translates it in a way that's interpretable for them and actionable. Yeah, I agree. I think that goes into what I was saying before of having foresight. Because, mm -hmm. like, I feel like people think that all we do is, like, are on calls. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I am. And emails. A lot of calls and emails. But, but. I always say that I'm literally going to get hit by a car by, like, being on a call. Yeah. Um, because I'm on one every 30 minutes yeah, for yeah, yeah. something or another. Right. And that's because I have to work against like Australia, Asia, the UK, shit, even LA. I don't know what time it is, but I know they're probably still hounding me with emails. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, that is a huge part of my job is like a lot of it, maybe 30%, no, 50% of it is probably unnecessary, mm -hmm. but it's being able to like 
identify what's necessary, what isn't necessary, and then nurturing those things to be like, hey, this is how we're going to set up the rest of your year. The re- like, we, as a manager, you, you have to plan a year in advance mm-hmm. for what anything looks like. Mm-hmm. And so it really is being able to have that foresight right? Um, to, to make things this like one little like flicker of light into like a full blown fire. Totally. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the important part. And yes, most of my time is spent on calls and <laughs> mm-hmm. emails and yes, it does make a difference. Yeah. But like our clients won't, we'll never know what right. that is and right. what that means. Right. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I agree. Yeah. Cool. Well, Ramya, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you. Woo! <laughs> it was a good episode. Yeah. It was a good episode. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. What were uh, some of your biggest takeaways? Um, I always think it's interesting talking to people that I work with because their careers, despite you know working with some of the same artists, are always more different than I expected them to be. So I learned a lot from her just because not only have I seen her manage these artists, but we kind of get into the weeds of how she thinks about artist management. Um, And during the episode, I was comparing it to my own. So I thought that was super, super awesome to to be a part of because I obviously have an experience with her at EQT. But at the same time, you know, every year, you know, every six months, every three months, it's like we're always constantly learning. So it was a refresher for me to hear all that stuff from her, which I thought was great. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, any manager that has built momentum has worked with emerging artists that have actually really started to turn their their art into a career and a sustainable source of income. I have tons of respect for that. I think it's, uh, I mean, obviously there's tons of like air quotes, like starving artists. So when you're actually there from the jump and can really help artists get out of that like starving artist phase out into turning this into an actual job, I think that's incredible. I think um, the traits and tactics that she spoke about the relationship and friendship she has with a lot of the different artists she works with. I think I uh, really enjoy this episode a lot. I also really liked how she said, and this obviously seems, well, this seems obvious to people, but it's not. She told artists to focus on their music first, their product. Um, I think artists try to get managers too quickly. They try to get signed too quickly. They want to move really, really fast. Um, in this episode, she was like, the first thing you should focus on is your music. Um, and I think a lot of people forget that. So Yeah. And don't forget your content too. Don't forget your content. <laughs> Hire uh, Knox. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no comment, but we are taking on clients. Okay. Uh, well, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, if uh, you enjoyed the podcast, definitely don't hesitate to hit us up on Instagram at Music Business Podcast or leave a review on the Apple Store or wherever you listen to your podcast. So thank you guys very much. Really appreciate your support. See you next week.